You'll give that a go on your end too, Kath. Yep, no worries. Still, no, not, not working at all. Maybe, Dan, I'll get you to look at that after service. Not me, but after service, we'll, we'll check that out. Okay. Um, <coughs> Kelvin Moore uh, was a young man who was highly talented in AFL football. He had a whole range of natural skills and abilities. He had an aspiring career with the Richmond Football Club and things looked very rosy for him as a young man as he was going to build his life on football. He was going to be able to realise all of his dreams and uh, build a life on football. Uh, very soon, though, into his career, after a lot of hip injury, the doctors told him he had degenerative hip joints. Uh, Kelvin underwent nine hip surgeries to try and correct his hips, and all of that was to no avail. So after 87 AFL games and nine surgeries, uh, Kelvin Moore retired and then said there's more to life than football. That's probably not what he said probably three or four years earlier than that when he was building his life on the dreams of playing AFL football. But he got out the other side of all that hip surgery and said, hang on, there is more to life than football. Uh, We're going to look at that sort of larger question today as we think about Jeremiah. Uh, in the series we're in. So if you've got your Bibles, please go to Jeremiah chapter uh, 2. And we're going to read um, from verses 1 through to 13. So uh, you can follow along up on the screen or uh, read on your Bible or device or whatever you've got up there in. Okay, verse 1 of chapter 2 says this. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt and disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no one dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Gadar and examine with care, see if there's ever been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
Father, we uh, give you thanks and praise that we have this enormous privilege today to come and to open up your living, eternal word. Where truly, Lord, the living, eternal fountain of life is revealed for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray today your Holy Spirit would come now and open up our ears to hear the truth that is here. That, Lord, it may convict us, it may encourage us, it may heal us, it may make us whole as we see your word for us today. Lord, we ask and pray now, please give us ears to hear. A mind to understand and a heart to receive, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've started this series uh, on the book of Jeremiah, uh, where we see a gloriously holy God uh, deal with his beloved people Israel with both justice and grace. With both justice and grace. Israel has been chosen by God to walk in loving unity with him. They've been called to know the, uh, the wonders of our indescribable God. Like no no other nation has on the face of the earth. That's what we've been called to know and see in this uh, glorious God. They've experienced God working and acting on their behalf in miraculous circumstances purely because God loves them and delights to show them his grace. In walking with God, Israel's known purpose, fulfilment and satisfaction in life. They've grasped the big picture of life and that is to know God is to know life to the full. That's what Israel has experienced in relationship with God. And early in the nation's life, the the nation of Israel, they were a devoted people, delighting to serve God and to do this in absolute contentment in every possible way. And we saw that laid out for us there in the first few verses in chapter 2 where it says this initially about uh, God's relationship and covenant with the people of Israel. The word of the Lord came to me saying in verses 1 to 3, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Israel, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt and disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. As Israel walked with God, they did so with devotion and love. With absolute devotion and love. It's likened there to a bride in the raptures of her husband. Rejoicing to have a husband who will support and love and care for her. is the picture here of the devotion that Israel has with God in those early stages of this developing nation. It's hit a real high point there, but now something's changed. It's gone from a real high point, a real sort of mountaintop experience, to now something has changed. And what we'll see here is something that will actually defy imagination. It'll go beyond belief. If we can truly grasp it and see what's going on, we will look back and say, what were you guys thinking to walk out on a relationship like that? How could you have been in such a beautiful covenant with God, the creator of the universe, the one who gives you a very life? How could you be in that covenant of love and then walk out? Just walk away. Well, that's what we are going to see. It says there they committed two great evils. One is that they firstly, they forsaken, have forsaken God, the living fountain of life. And not only forsaken him, they've gone out to then dig their own, as it were, cisterns or dirty dams to try and find life in. That's the two great evils that we're going to look at today as we think about this passage here in Jeremiah, written two and a half thousand years ago for us to see something of uh, the glory of God and the wonder of God in his grace and his justice towards us. Okay, 
Let's think about this forsaken party, this first of these two great evils, you have forsaken me. We have many, many wonderful images of God's love and care for Israel that are dotted right through the scriptures. It's an intimate relationship of God's personal connection with the nation of Israel. Here's one of those images that comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 1, and it says this in verses 30 and 31. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where you've seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. It's a beautiful picture if you think about that, isn't it? There's an image here of his father carrying his son through a harsh place. Now, if you go back to uh, parts of Exodus when they were going through wilderness, it was a harsh place. It was a barren land. But we get this picture here that God is saying, uh, sorry, Moses is saying here, it's like a father carrying his son through those harsh times. And And it gives us a beautiful image to think about. But if we marry that now back into what we're seeing in Jeremiah, we actually see this. It's now like that son who was carried right through the wilderness by the father sees that relationship as nothing. It's nothing. Actually, I'm just going to reject the father as my everlasting God and just walk away and forsake him. That's the picture we're now getting in Jeremiah. One was God was carrying them, but now that son says, it's all over. I'm out. It says here, In uh, chapter 2, verse 13 of Jeremiah, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me. They've forsaken me. You've walked away, rejected me, you've forsaken me, it says there. And God says it quite a few times over these few chapters here, particularly between chapters 2 and 6. He says it here again in verse 32. He says here, Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. It's another image there he's showing us. Could a bride ever forget her makeup and wedding dress? Could you imagine getting to the wedding and the bride's forgotten to put on the makeup and no wedding dress, just rocked up in her pyjamas? That would never happen. It just would not take place. And God's saying, that wouldn't happen, but look what you've done. You've forgotten me. You've forsaken me for many, many days. Says it again in chapter 5, verse 3. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You've struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You've consumed them, but they refused to take correction. They've made their faces harder than rock. They've refused to repent. There's a picture here where God is coming in loving correction to them, but it says there, you've turned your face away from me. You're not willing to receive this loving correction. You're forsaking me. And again in verses 20 to 24 of chapter 5, it says this. Declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I placed the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people, talking about Judah and Israel, but this people has a stubborn and a rebellious heart. They've turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain in season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. 
It says there, knowing who God is and provides all these things, they've turned aside and gone away. They've forsaken God. And again, in chapter 6, verse 16, it says this. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. God talking to Israel, talking to Judah here. But they said, we will not walk in it. We will not walk in it. It's crystal clear. They've forsaken God. Israel is saying, God, we are walking our own road. We're going our own way. It's like they've come to a crossroad in life at some particular point in time, walking with God. God's gone to move off, as it were, forward in the direction to take these people. And they've said, "Ah, we're going to go left here, God. See you later. We're going to go left. See you later. Forsaken, left, walked away from this glorious God. Israel is blind to it at the moment, but we need to think about what they have forsaken here. It says they've rejected and they've walked away from the fountain of living waters. In other words, Israel has walked away from the pure, a pure and true source of life. They've walked away from God who's carried them all the way through life. They've walked away from God who is life and who is the giver of life and who gives them their life. They've forsaken and rejected and walked away from that. Here's the second great evil then that sort of follows very quickly after the first great evil that Israel has committed that day. Not only have they forsaken God, the fountain of life, they've exchanged God to go and dig out their own cistern or well or pool, whatever you want to call it, and it's a broken cistern at that. It says in verse 13, again, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out or carved out or dug up our own cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's another image here, but it's a very powerful image if we think about it. Let me give you perhaps an illustration to maybe help bring a bit of clarity here. Who's ever been to Hepburn Springs Spar over towards Ballarat Way? Some may have, yep, okay. Uh, it's a place where there's lovely, pure, clear sort of uh, springs of water that bubble up out of the ground. I think some of the points that come out of the, up out of the rock as well, they've tapped onto it. But it's a place of these pure, clear springs of water. And they're crystal clear, they sparkle. They're beautiful things. And, and like a fountain, these things just keep flowing. They just keep bubbling and keep flowing. It's a picture of uh, giving life and health uh, in that way. And many, many people go there and uh, think they have spas. There are all sorts of things. Well, that sort of Hepburn spring of this, this life-giving, uh, crystal clear, pure spring is like the fountain of living water that God is. But Israel has walked away, as it were, from Hepburn Springs. They've walked away from this fountain of living, life-giving water. And what they've done is they've found this run-down farm somewhere with a dirty old dam out the back. And this dam is swarming with leeches. This dam is filled with mud-sucking carp. This dam has pigs wallowing in its waters. And like all dams, this one leaks and won't hold its water and eventually will run dry. Israel's discovered this dam out the back, filled with leeches, filled with carp and with pigs living in it, and they say, this is now our life source. This is it. 
This is where we will find all of our life and all of its purpose and fulfilment now. As we drink from this dam, we finally discover that life is all about this dirty, muddy dam. If we get the picture here, it's like this. They have God or Hepburn Springs on one side and they have this dirty old dam on the other side and they're saying, we'll take the dirty old dam, thanks. We'll leave Hepburn Springs alone. It defies belief. You might still be thinking, though, well, what does this all mean? Because we're talking in images and pictures here of Hepburn Springs and dirty old dams. What does it mean? The picture is this. It's two scenarios where Israel is choosing to build its life. It's there, one, with pictures without God. They're looking for this fountain of life. And it's where they're trying to find true purpose and meaning in life. And in that, Israel's forsaken God as the truth and as the meaning of life. And they've gone their own way. And they've gone after the other things to live by. For Israel, then, they've gone after false religions in this picture. They've gone after other things to fulfil them and, and, and uh, give them purpose. They've actually broken the covenant they entered into with God to be the one true God. Part of these religions where they were looking for life to find purpose and fulfilment, one of them was worshipping the god Moloch. Uh, I've read a little bit about this this week. Um, this god Moloch demands child sacrifice. And this is where they were trying to find purpose and meaning in life. This god Moloch was a big brass uh, statue, hollow on the inside, uh, lit with a fire within it, and they would throw babies alive into this big brass statue to be burnt alive. And while this was happening, the drums would be beating loudly and consistently to drum out the cries in the streets of the children as they died inside this brass statue. This is what they now were digging out for themselves to try and find purpose in life. They had forsaken the God who had given them children as gifts to nurture and care for. They were now sacrificing these children. This is where they thought life was as they dug out their own cisterns, these dirty old dams. And what we see here in the sense of chasing after this other purpose in life, digging out their own cisterns, we see a real longing It's nearly like a running after these crazy things to find purpose in life in. Here it is in verses 20 to 25 of chapter 2. For long ago, uh, this is God speaking then, for long ago I broke your yoke and I burst your bonds. In other words, I released you. I brought you out of the land of slavery, out of Egypt. But you've said now, I will not serve. As in serve the Lord. And God answers, yes, and on every high hill and under every green tree, you bow down like a horse. It's a very graphic picture here again. Put on your seatbelts for a second as I just explain what's happening here. God is saying, in your worship of the false Baal, you bow or you spread your legs like a prostitute waiting for any person to come along and join you. It's a very graphic image. It's Yes, it's in the Bible. That's what it's saying there. You were chasing after anybody like a prostitute with their legs spread, ready, willing and able. You're running after anybody to come and to find purpose and meaning in life. Degrading yourself of any sense of decency and respect. It goes on in verse 21. Yet I planted your choice vine, holy a pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? 
Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. How can you say I am not unclean? This is God questioning Israel. I have not gone after the baths. God says, look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. A restless young camel running here and there. A wild donkey used to the wilderness. In her heat, sniffing the wind. Who can restrain her lust? None who seek her need weary themselves. In her month they will find her. Keep your feet from going unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, it's hopeless. For I have loved foreigners and after them I will go. It's another graphic image here of God saying how, um, uh, as it were, disrespectful they've become, how degrading they've become. God is saying, Israel, you are like a lust-driven female donkey that chases down males for mating. It's graphic imagery here that God's using. He's saying, Israel, you are no different. You are chasing down all these false gods and the false brokenness of this world to try and find life there and try and find meaning there. It's very powerful images he's giving. You're hunting it down, as it were. And you're saying, what's the point? I'm stuck in this lifestyle and I love it. I may as well milk it for all it's worth. That's where life is, Israel's thinking at this time. It's a delusion they're bought into. And they're running after it full tilt. They can't get enough of it. And then look what God says here about this madness, this craziness, this forsakenness, this breaking of the covenant with him. He says this in verses 11 and 12. He says, Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. It's like God is calling all of heaven to witness this. This act of forsakenness and complete stupidity. God is saying, heavens, be shocked. Be appalled. Be dumbstruck. Be brought low as you witness what these people are doing. Look at the exchange they've made. Be astounded, be lost for words as you watch this unfold. Has anybody ever done such a thing as this? Who gives away the pure and the clean in exchange for the dirty and the foul? God says, be shocked, be appalled. Who does this? You might be thinking right here now, well, I'm not like them. I'm not chasing after foreign gods like they are. I'm not doing that sort of thing. Is that true? Is that really true? What Israel is doing is they're they're building their life on things by trying to find meaning and purpose in anything other than God. Forsaken God, digging out their own systems, they're trying to find the purpose and meaning of life in anything else other than God. And I put it to you today that in many respects we are no different to Israel back then. No different to Israel back then. We as people are doing the same things that Israel was doing back then. We just do it in different ways. We haven't got a brass statue out there and we're throwing live babies in it. That's not happening. 
but we are still trying to build our lives on the broken things of this world and try and find life there in some extent. We're not bowing down to the image of the, of the bronze Moloch, but we could be bowing down to the God of fame or the God of image or the God of pleasure or a whole range of other things there that are subtly working in our minds and working in this world. You might still say, Tom, what do you mean by that? What do you mean I'm bowing down? Today, we have a multitude of sporting stars who are building their lives on image and fame in the sporting arena. Uh, AFLX was, again, on Friday night, I think it was, you know, maybe 20,000, 30,000 people in the state, but who knows, hundreds of thousands of people are watching on TV. So these, these people are performing in front of crowds of hundreds of thousands of, at a time. Now, and they're building their life on it. That, that becomes their life. It's all based and built around football or a successful sporting career thinking this is where life is. It's in here. It's in this career. And often you'll hear these comments from those sort of people, man, I just live for this stuff. Basketball's my life or football's my life or whatever. It's just my life. And sometimes we want to be just like them because we see that fame and think that would be fantastic to be like that. But if we just look a little bit closer at some of the lives of these people, at the moment there's a massive rise in the collapse of mental health within our sporting athletes at the moment. It's just gone off the charts over the last few years. Maybe it was hidden previously decades ago, but I think the pressure's ramped up even more now. Building their lives in these sporting pursuits is actually just coming down and crumbling before them. A bit like Kelvin Moore. Now, there's more to life than football. Why? Because sporting fame and image is a broken system. It cannot hold water and it will not sustain us. It's a dam one day that runs empty and we are left high and dry. We're all washed up. We've built our life on it and it's left us empty. And mentally, I can't cope anymore. Other uh, examples. Some people build their lives on a successful farming or business pursuit. That can happen as well. This farm or this business will sustain me and there I'll find life in all of its purpose in this business or farm. I live for this farm. This farm is my life. The drought hit uh, quite a few years ago and was really bad in the early 2000s. Uh, We had dairy farmers who had lost everything around here. And now the banks were putting pressure and they wanted the farm back to recall their debt in. Uh, There were some farmers who walked their cattle to the local abattoirs And then they went home and they committed suicide. Devastating. Devastating. They lived for their farm. They were bowing down, unfortunately, to a successful life on the farm as the ultimate in life. And they discovered it could not sustain them. It could not hold them up. It could not keep them. I'm not saying things like sport are wrong or having a farm is wrong or being successful in business is wrong. They're all good things. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you take that good thing and make it an ultimate thing, that's when the trouble sets in. It begins to dominate our life. You see, we try and build our life on these things to become, as it were, like functional saviors or to save you from a life of despair or boredom or whatnot. And they can't do it. These things in this world were never designed to save us. And God gives us this picture here again in uh, chapter 2 and verses 26 and 28 that he says this to Jeremiah, through Jeremiah. As a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel will be shamed. 
They, their kings, their officials, their priests and their prophets who say to a tree, their idol at this point, you are my father. And to a stone, you gave me birth. For they've turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you've made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble. For as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. Very sharp words. Very pointed words that God uses. He's saying, go to your tree. Go to your stone and tell them to save you. Because that's what you've gone after. It's the same for us. If we make something an ultimate in our life, whether it's pleasure or sporting image or business or whatever it might be, or money, if we make that, that won't save us. Because God will say, well, that's your God. Get it to save you now. It can't save us. It won't save us. The time of trouble comes and we look for it to save me and it can't do it. It could even be a relationship we make as an ultimate thing. If I can just find the right husband or wife, then all my problems are over. If I can just find Mr. Right... Or Mrs. Wright. Well, can those things save us? Can they save us from a life of despair and futility? Can they save us from dissatisfaction if I find that right relationship? Often in relationships, when they find out it doesn't, they just move to the next one, and to the next one, and to the next one. Never learning that actually I can't find what I'm looking for in a relationship. Why? Because it's a broken system. It's a dirty, muddy dam. It's losing water fast. And I'm trying to drink out of that system to sustain myself, and it won't do that. It was never designed to do that. See, this is Israel's problem, and it's ours today too, to some extent. We are taking substitutes, as it were, and putting them in place of God, and trying to build our life on that. And the Bible calls that idols. Or idolatry. You might think, well, you know, I'm thinking about idols, but I'm thinking about that tree and that stone we spoke about before. Well, sort of that's what it was back then, but it's no different today as we just said about these other things that we can place in our lives that become ultimate. What is an idol? An idol is anything we place before God as, as supreme in our life. If God is not supreme, we have something else as supreme, as it were, that's the definition of an idol. Anything that, that I place as ultimate in my life, as this is what life is about, we can call that an idol. You might say, well, how do I know what an idol is? Perhaps you could ask yourself some of these questions to help um, work that out. Try this one. What would be the one thing, the one thing in your life, if it was taken away from your life, that you would think life wasn't worth living anymore? If someone came and took something out of your life, whatever that might be, and your reaction to that was, I don't think life's worth living anymore. Could be a good chance that something you're making an ultimate thing and becoming an idol in your life. Or this, possibly. What do I find is my mind can easily, in times of um, sort of neutral mode, where I'm just sort of daydreaming, <coughs> I can find my mind easily gravitating this, to the same thing, thinking about it all the time. Possibly that could be becoming an idol in your life. Because your mind sort of drifts in neutral to this same thing and you're always daydreaming about it, always thinking about it. You see, when God created us, he created us to worship. We are worshippers. Everybody worships something. We are created to fix our heart on something and to love it. 
That's how we are wired. To fix our heart on something and to love it and to give it our desires. But here's the problem, and it's just like Israel's. We don't worship God as supreme, as ultimate, as the number one pursuit in our lives. We don't fill our lives with all these other good things, but then we make them ultimate things. There's lots of good things in this world to love, but we never love them as ultimate. The moment it becomes ultimate, we've actually made it an idol or made it supreme in our lives. It's a good thing to want to be in a relationship. Don't get me wrong about that before. And it's a good thing to want to be married. God made marriage. He created marriage. So it's a very good thing. But life isn't all about being in a relationship and getting married. That's not the ultimate in life. Because if we make marriage the ultimate in life, we are very likely to make wrong decisions and wrong choices in who we marry and quite possibly end up marrying the wrong person. It seemed good at the time and I just thought marriage and relationship was ultimate. I just grabbed the next person coming along, so to speak. But it could be the wrong person. Because we may not marry a person who's passionate about Jesus Christ. And then what happens then is we think that'll save us from a life of despair, but we end up finding out that it doesn't save us from a life of despair. It probably creates more problems. And then relationships sometimes break up. And if someone's made this relationship the ultimate in life, our life comes crashing down. I was at a place called Gap Bluff. I'm not sure if anybody knows it. On the South Sydney head of the bay there in Sydney. Uh, I was there about two years ago. It's a place where these rugged cliffs uh, fall into the ocean. It's a spectacular place. As you see, just this mighty ocean crashing against these cliffs. And like they're 100 metres below you as the, uh, as the um, water comes in. Spectacular place. But it's also a place of really deep sadness. Really deep sadness. It's a place where many people jump off that cliff and commit suicide. And very often over a relationship breakup. They've made it ultimate in life, and when it's broken up, their whole life is shattered amongst them. And they'll go to Gap Bluff and they'll jump off. It's a broken system. It was never designed to save us. We can't build our lives on these things. That's what Israel was trying to do. So, what's the answer to these dirty dams? What's the answer to these broken systems? that we're trying to eke our life out of. What do we do here? We've got to return back to the fountain of living water. We've got to come back to our maker. We've got to come back to the God who gives us life and breathes that life into us. How do I get back to God? How do I get back to him? We look to Jesus Christ and we look to the heart of the gospel because Jesus said this in John chapter 7. He says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It seems really strange that Jesus would stand up in the middle of that feast and, as it were, loudly proclaim that. But he knew exactly what he was doing. He is the fountain of life. He is the living waters. He is the one that we come and we drink from to receive life in all of its fullness. We come to Jesus Christ and we drink of him. Now, what does that mean? We come to the cross and we appreciate what Jesus Christ has done to reconcile us and to bring us back to God. 
to bring us back to the fountain of living water. We see what he's done there and what he's achieved for us. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us at a conversion. And the Spirit renews us from the inside out. As it were, the fountains of living water flow out of us now as we understand and we experience who Jesus Christ is. We return to the fountain of living water through him. And we trade in those dirty, old, leech-infested, carp-sucking dams and we come back to the life-giving fountain that Christ is. Simply the question today then is this. Where are you drinking today? What are you building your life on today? Are you at the back? Trying to drink out of that dirty, muddy, leech-infested dam and trying to eke life out of that and just being deluded in your mind thinking this is where life is? Or will you see Jesus Christ, the fountain of living water, the only true and pure fountain, and will you drink from him? That's the question you've got to ask yourself today. Where am I looking for life? Let's pray. Father, we uh, give you thanks and we give you praise today that we come to the book of Jeremiah and we see, Lord, uh, your truth so evidently clear for us. A rebellious nation, initially starting off in love and devotion and enjoying this covenant relationship with you, Lord, of devotion and of love and of joy and of life fulfilment in every way. And, Lord, defying imagination... They take a left turn and they leave you and they dig out their own dirty dam and drink from that, thinking they've found life, only to find, God, it's evaporating, it's disappearing. It can't sustain them. Holy Spirit, today I pray, please awaken our hearts and our minds to the broken systems that we are perhaps trying to build in this world to sustain us with life. Help us to see that we need to come back to Jesus Christ, the true and fountain, the true fountain of living water, and allow Him to flow through us to give us life in all of its fullness so that we can truly then go out into this world and live the way you've called us to. Help us not to live the lie, I pray, Lord. Help us not to live in this falseness. I pray that Jeremiah will speak deeply into our hearts today as your spirit works with that word. And we will discover afresh the fountain of living water in Jesus Christ. Father, I ask and I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, folks. Caleb, if you come back and let us have song, mate, that would, uh, would be great. Um, I'll be down the front for a little while, so if you have any uh, questions or would like some prayer, please uh, feel free to come and see me. Thank you.